This month's guest is a bit of a contradiction. She grew up in Tennessee listening only to country music, and yet one of her biggest songs was a multi-genre smash. And she's a woman. But she says she recognized early on that she's really good at writing songs for men. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Now, before we get started with this month's podcast, just want to remind you, if you like what we're doing, please take a minute, give it a review, share it with your friends. And I have to say, this month's podcast was a lot of fun to put together because our guest, Jesse Alexander, has written some huge hits for other people, but she's also kept songs for herself or redone songs that she's written for others. And you'll find that during today's episode, we're going to kind of toggle back and forth between those two things. Jesse Alexander is a mom. Her husband, John Randall, is also a successful songwriter. And we spoke to her just as the coronavirus stay-at-home orders were issued, which also happened to be the very week her new album of original material came out. So she was going in about nine different directions at once, and it was extremely gracious of her to find time to talk. Jesse Alexander, thanks for being with us. And these are such unprecedented times. How are you, as a songwriter, managing to cope? Oh my gosh, it's like affected everything, obviously. Um, and then not to mention my my main job, which is being a mom to three kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a challenge, obviously, just having to learn how to homeschool <laughs> um, literally on the fly. Um, also, you know, putting out this record, um, I've written a record and, and it comes out this Friday and all the you know, promotion and things that I was going to do, um, maybe they've been canceled or postponed. So where the ones that are still happening, you know, we're finding new ways to do them. And then songwriting, um, I feel like we're all kind of at a standstill. We're so used to artists recording and kind of knowing the schedule. And, you know, we, we don't know when to write, how to write. I have my very first Zoom write tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. Um, But I will say I'm kind of looking at this as a good time to kind of live and just get ideas. I typically don't have a lot of time in my normal life to read books, watch TV, uh, watch movies, things like that, because I'm, you know, either working, writing a song or I'm being a mom until I absolutely crash. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) this is a good time for me in that way. A lot more time to you kind of, you know, find inspiration. Well, I co-host the morning show here at uh, KNCI Radio in Sacramento where we record this, and we talked to Jimmy Allen this week, and I loved his approach to the quarantine. Now, he he has a new baby at home, so he and um, and the mom, are they, they've got their hands full. But at the same time, he said this is a great time for him as an artist to listen mm-hmm. to artists who came before him that he's never really had a chance because he's been so busy to really expose himself yeah. to and to just kind of dive creatively down a few rabbit holes and just, yeah, you know, kind of fill up on what's out there that he hasn't been able to. I think that's brilliant. Yesterday, or it might have been the day before, you know, the days are all running together, but <clears throat> I was um, doing a piece for a magazine. They wanted me to kind of go through my top 20 songs ever written or whatever, and I was started researching the stories behind some of my favorite songs, and I picked one of them was My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys, written by Sharon Vaughn, and I just did a deep dive down the Sharon Vaughn rabbit hole and learned so much about her and about the writing of that song. And just that 30 minutes that I spent 
doing that, I, I would never get to do normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I agree with Jimmy. I think it's a, it's a good time to just um, let yourself go down some rabbit holes, whether it be online, if you, there's an artist that you've always loved, but you just, you don't know their old records and stuff like that. So I'm trying to do that. My only issue is, um, like I said, I'm also homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got and cleaning <laughs> and cooking a lot. Well, where's your husband, John Randall, during all this? Yeah, well, John Randall, he's doing his time too. He's, you know, <laughs> while I'm here with you, he's in there with them. Um, I, I just walked in and I was like, "What are y'all working on?" I thought, you know, homeschool. They're watching the Fat Albert movie, so <laughs> you know, Dad and Mom, we're just doing the best we can. Um, there's going to be a lot of guitar lessons. A lot of songwriting lessons, the things we know good, what we're good at. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily, all of our children play instruments. Dads are basically human recess. That's all we are. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And But he's been helping pick up and, you know, it's a big week. It's a big week for me. This is, we worked hard to get to this point, releasing this record, so... Yeah, and and you know we're listening to this. Uh, this podcast is actually going to drop in May, so we're referring okay. a couple of months back. But during yeah. this week that we're recording this, you mentioned it already. You have an album coming out called uh, Decatur County Red. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tried to download it. There's only three songs available, but one of them is Mama Drank, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. It's funny, and, wow, and it's it fitting for these times. It's really, it's a well-written song, and it, it tells a story. Um, go, go into a little bit of background about that, and then I want to just ask you about the album in general. Sure, "Mama Drank" is a, a title that I've had for many years. Uh, I've got an 11 year old and two eight year olds, so I probably was in the very beginning stages of with our daughter, the the oldest when I got the idea and I, who knows, I was probably changing a diaper. God knows what I was doing, but I, I remember thinking, well, Lord, I know now why my mom drank. 50 hour week, no phone, no sleep, pulling that overtime. It's a delicate dance, working like a man while you're keeping your rape tight. Don't seem fair, gotta color your hair and you're barely 36 years old. Living for a sip, knowing what you're gonna get at the door when you get home. Clean, clean, clean that kitchen. Wipe them babies' tears. You're in your home and bitching while the phone's screaming in your ear. Holding it together, hoping worse gets better, and still money in the bank. Now I know what my mama drank. Cease now, but I can I can just remember, you know, at the end of the day, um, her pouring a glass of wine, and now I get it, you know. And so <laughs> it really started out as just a, a thought, but I remember thinking that's pretty funny, you know. And I toyed around with it for for years, but you know, I don't really write with a lot of females. Um, I don't write with a lot of female artists, so I never really found the right home for it. And I didn't think I was going to make a record that wasn't on my radar, but when I knew the, the record was kind of coming together, I was like, that title, that would be really fun. And I need something like that. And I wanted to tip my hat. All the songs are me tipping my hat to someone or some kind of you know music that I was an inspiration that I grew up on. And so that one definitely is my kind of paying homage to Loretta Lynn, um, Tammy Wynette, people like that that wrote kind of their truth and what they saw. Clean, clean, clean that kitchen. Why? 
It's your truth, too. Yeah, and it's a lot of my mom friends. You know, truth, we, every time I would come up with a line, I think, well, that resonate for all my mom friends, you know, and uh, it's it really rings the bell. People have really responded to that one. So, um, yeah, you mentioned that you weren't expecting to do an album, and yet you have, and this is a full-blown album, which is a little unusual mm-hmm. for somebody who's primarily, uh, as you are now, a songwriter. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I like to steal from a wonderful Guy Clark song um, that my husband John Randall wrote and Gary Nicholson called Some Days You Write the Song, Some Days the Songs Write You. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with this record, it's like I didn't write this album. It wrote me. Um, it really snuck up on me. I mean, I love my job. I love being a songwriter. I don't need to be in the spotlight. I like to be um, on, in a little room on Music Row writing songs for our artists. But some of these songs came out and just begged to be recorded. And I just kind of followed my gut and my heart. And I, I think internally I was probably needing a little change and shake up, you know, and get some inspiration. And it's just a good time in my life. My kids are older and it's a good time to do it. But, uh, yeah, it's been a journey. And you also had a, an album in 2014, Down Home, which is you doing songs that uh, have been recorded by others. Mm-hmm. And I love it just from the perspective of hearing you in the studio with various guest artists backing you up on vocals um, and your interpretations of songs that are huge hits like Drink On It, uh, I Drive Your Truck, and The Climb, uh, which, of course, was uh, recorded by Miley Cyrus. Yeah, that was a really fun record to make. And the reason I didn't really promote it or put it out is that the twins were really little and I just didn't have the time and, you know, couldn't put the effort into it. So um, I love that record too. And it's very special to me. And this record um, is, you know, there's only two of the songs have been, actually three of the songs have been recorded on this record, but none of them, you know, are like big hits. Um, And I feel like they're very personal um, not to say those weren't, but these definitely, like a song like Damn Country Music that was cut by Tim McGraw, like when we wrote that, I feel like we all three, three of us writers felt like this is our song, this is our story, this is a songwriter's story. I packed it all on a whim Through an old Hank cassette tape in. Dad's 84, Rusty Ford Swore we'd never make it I quit my job, let my mama down Broken angel's heart on the way out of town Pulled my roots from the ground for The home of wheels on the blacktop The strong of strings on a flat top It's a neon fever for a small town I love um, your take of Mine Would Be You um, from Down Home. Oh, yeah. And you have Dirk Bentley singing background on it. But, I mean, Blake made it into a a huge hit. But there's something about hearing you sing those same lines um, Mm. that just it feels more like it, it really is coming from you. Absolutely. That was a very special song and very personal song. Um, We actually wrote that song when I was pregnant 
And uh, the reason people are always wondering about that song, so why is it like, you know, a love song, happy song, first half, and then there's this twist and turn into a really sad torture song? Mm -hmm. And we can just, uh, we owe all that to hormones, I guess. What's your all-time high, you're good as it gets? Your hands down, best ever makeup sex. What's your guilty pleasure? go to Well if you ask me mine would be you What's your worst hangover your best night yet You're 90 proof you're Marlboro What's the best damn thing you've lucked into Well you got it boy mine would be you. Mine would be you, sun kiss shining, back road flying, singing like crazy fools, making up our own words, laughing till it hurts. Baby, if I had to choose my best day ever, my finest hour, my wildest dream come true. We started the song, me, Derek, Rattan, and Connie Harrington, and we wrote the first half. But because I was pregnant and tired and probably had a doctor's appointment, I said, can we get together maybe in a couple weeks and finish it and, uh, you know, at my house or something. So when we got back together and we all listened to it, we were all like, wow, this feels like a sad song. (laughs) So it took a dramatic turn. People always wonder why we did that. And it was woman. What's the greatest chapter in your book? Are there pages where it hurts to look? What's the one regret you can't work through? You got it, baby. Mine would be you. Yeah, you got it, baby. Mine would be you. Mine would be you. Taillights fading, daylight breaking, standing there like a fool. And I should have been running, yelling out something to make you want to hold on to the best love ever, girl. I also heard that um, I Drive Your Truck, it took you a few sessions to do that. And I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. you know, you start off and then I don't know how many days or weeks transpire. You sit down again. There's maybe a different vibe in the room that day. Is it tough to maintain a consistency or do you worry about that when you try to pick up where you left off on something? I definitely worry about it. Um, And trust me, we that's like the daily you know, situation, because you're like, gosh, it's three o'clock, it's four o'clock, and, you know, we're tired, we're exhausted, we've looked at the song all day long, like, there's part of you that thinks we need to take a break, and sometimes that's the best possible thing you can do, you get away from it, 
we put fresh eyes and ears on it, you know, a couple of days later and you, all the, all the things that were hard aren't hard anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, everything's right there, but there is that fear that you're going to lose the magic in the room. But I feel like with Nashville, everyone's such a craftsman and people, you know, know how to recreate that inspiration. It's not always easy, but most times I feel like taking the break is a good thing. And I think you just answered my next question, which is how important do you think it is as a, as a creative person to not try and get out ahead of your skis and to let things kind of sink in and soak and, um, and steep a little bit before you, you go back to trying to put it down on paper? I think it it is good to, like, for example, I drive your truck. That was uh, really exciting when she first threw out the idea. Um, Connie Harrington threw out the idea. I was flooded with images of, of the truck. Um, I grew up in West Tennessee, and my grandmother, uh, when we lost my grandfather, she kept his truck parked in the car, like in the garage for years. And I got to go sit in his truck and I could just still smell him there and feel him there and all his, his tool belt and his, all the change in the ashtray. I mean, all that I could just see. And I was, it was really cool for me and Connie that first day to just, just write down lyrics, visuals. We didn't have to worry about it even rhyming. It was just getting a lot of just, um, things on page and then um, calling in the great Jimmy Yuri to help us really put that male spin on it melodically too. And having, you know, letting it, that song simmer was good, you know, bringing him in and his addition to it was just great. So I think, you know, you got to serve the song. Um, let it show you how it wants to be written sometimes it takes a while, you know, and sometimes they just come out in an hour. 89 cents in the ashtray, half empty bottle of Gatorade rolling in the floorboard. That dirty Braves cap on the dash, dog tags hanging from the rear view, old skull can and cowboy boots and a gold army shirt. Folded in the back This thing burns gas like crazy But that's alright People got their ways of coping Oh, and I got mine I drive your truck I roll every window down And I burn up Every back road in this town Tear it up till all the pain's a cloud of dust. Yes, sometimes I drive your truck. I leave that radio playing. Same old country station where you left it. Yeah, man, I crank it up. Do you know when you've hit a song that's going to resonate in the hearts of people? Um, For example, that song, Drive Your Truck. I still, my dad's truck, he's been passed away for, I think, 11 years now. We still have his truck 
in our family. I had it for several years. My two boys learned to drive on it. It's just a dumpy little mm-hmm. 87 Toyota pickup truck stick shift, and my, both my boys learned to drive with it, and that was their high school car. And now my, my nephew, it's going to be his high school car and i don't think we'll ever let that wow. i don't i don't think we'll ever let that truck out of our sight but yeah man the first time i heard that song it was just like hey has she been looking over my shoulder <laughs> right but at that time i didn't know you wrote it i was like that. it was lee rice looking over my shoulder but i mean do you know right. when when you hit something that has that kind of universal um chord to it i think so um i know if it if it's hitting me in the gut and you know, we're crying or we're jumping up or there's an energy in the room, you know, and you, you just kind of feel it. Um, I think the hardest thing, the harder thing is when you've written those and you know you've written them and they don't get recorded or they don't get released as a single and, and they're not able to be heard by the masses. That's um, kind of a hard pill to swallow. Um, but you've I've had to learn to let them go, you know. But yeah, I think typically we know, and don't, don't uh, get me wrong. There's those surprises, those songs like that you didn't necessarily think would hit such a chord that does too. Like what? I would say drink on it was a song that, I mean, we wrote and I kind of forgot about. Um, I was in the grind of just writing a lot of songs and Rodney Clawson, uh, thank goodness went in to demo it. Cause I think we would have just forgotten about it. Um, but when he brought it to life in the studio, I was like, whoa. And I went to sing on the sing harmonies on it. And then I got to sing on the record. Um, I was like, wow, this this has stepped up and become, you know, a hit. Hey, girl, hey, where you going? Come back and sit back down. You look too good to be heading home so early now. You say you got to work tomorrow. Got a lot on your mind. Let me buy. Uh, and then there's songs like I have a song on Cole Swindell's last record um, called Dad's Old Number that um, is a gut wrencher. And it's like when we when we wrote that song, we me and uh, Chase McGill were just bawling our eyes out the whole time. And you know, there's some people that know about that song, but it's one of those that I know is special. I'm sorry, ma'am. Don't hang up now.
learned it by heart when I was six. He never did change it. I've caught it in trouble with good and bad news and breakups. Yeah, you name it. Well, it's funny you bring that up. A uh, couple episodes back, talked to Neil Thrasher about exactly that same thing. Songs that you absolutely were very proud of that you mm-hmm. thought would, and, and they end up as an album cut. Um, and I asked him, I mean, are you placated all at all by the fact that, hey, you, you've got a song on this album that, okay, it's not a radio single, but it's still, it's a song that makes that album better. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously a cut to cut. We, we love getting songs recorded. It's always an honor. Um, and even taking aside the monetary difference between a single and an album cut, which is massive. Right, it's right. a huge difference. And when you're trying to feed your family, you know, obviously it, it that hurts. But with a song like Dad's Old Number, it's not even about money. It's more just, you know, um, when I play that song live or on people that, that have heard it that reached out, you just know that so many people find comfort in a song like that. And I've had a, a lot of good fortune writing songs like that, like The Climb, um, I Drive Your Truck, you know, songs that really moved people. And that's a huge gift to me and uh, really is a that's a big part of the reward to me. It's not just the money. It's just knowing that, you know, maybe I help somebody through something. So Right, but you got to make a living and it's, it's harder than ever for a songwriter to do that. Absolutely, yeah. You know what I love to hear? It's going to be the last song on the album <laughs> album cut um do you ever i don't think i've ever asked anybody this before if you have one of those songs that is an album cut like on cole swindell's um and you really believe in it can you pitch it again can somebody else pick it up and, and turn it into something gosh i i wish they would because you know in the old days i'm we're friends with bill anderson and i've asked him this before he said you know actually people did that all the time in the 50s 60s and even 70s like if a song was great then everybody wanted to record it and I don't know why it's taboo it feels like it's taboo if like I had a a really fun song on um, Thomas Rhett's record two records ago called When You Look Like That but just so fun such a hit Um, just didn't make it as a single but I would love to hear someone else record it said you Time for one drink, but that dress that you wear and says a whole nother thing. You laugh and you smile and you wink. Got my head spinning round like a roller rink. It's going places we've never been, and it's getting better with every time it can gin. Got a Hollywood glow on your skin. don't know how that works. I don't know why artists don't do more of that, um, especially because over history, I can't think of any right off the top of my brain, but um, I can. there's definitely songs out there that were recorded, weren't, you know, shelved or put on, buried on a record and then became huge hits. 
I'll give you a great example. Uh, Friends in Low Places. Friends in Low Places. It was originally recorded by Mark Chestnut and then Garth Brooks. And when you hear the two songs side by side, there's just no knock against Mark Chestnut. Love the guy, loved his music. Um, But Garth just has so much more to it. Slip on down to the oasis Cause I've got friends in low places And I'll give you another example. Um, and I only know this because uh, from Northern California, there was a group from here that was trying to make it in Nashville several years ago. And they did a song. They were called the Marcy Brothers. I don't know. I think you know some of the Marcy's. I think they still live out there. And they had a song called Don't Tell My Heart. Didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Any guesses what that song became when another guy picked it up? Don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that. What a story. Yeah. Don't tell my heart, my achy, breaking heart. I just don't think you understand. And if you tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart, he might go up and kill his man. That used to happen a lot, and just being in radio um, all these years, I've seen it happen. I could probably find another couple of examples for you, but you're telling me it doesn't happen anymore, and it's just it's odd to me because if, a, a, if it's a great yeah. song but doesn't work for one artist, it could work tremendously well for somebody else. I know it's harder. It's it's made the job of a songwriter like it's just yet another obstacle. There's just so many obstacles. Um, yeah, every every feels like the longer I do it, the more obstacles there are. <laughs> Even with success, it's just it's crazy. Um, like I said, talking to some of my heroes and just getting to hear or people that wrote songs in the '90s when there were so many artists recording, and you know there were a lot of females, a lot of males, just all kinds of different sounds, and um, we just have such a narrow you know, like a very small bullseye that we're trying to hit every day. Yeah. You, you pretty much, especially in this climate, you've got to, you got to write hits. Hits. It's got it. I mean, bottom line is you have to get a song on the radio. Um, and now that's why I do a lot of other things. I think a lot of songwriters are coming up with other side gigs. You know, um, I sing on a lot of records. Um, I was just on, Lee Bryce's number one record, um, Rumor, so and several others that that have been on the radio. That's another source of income. Or I do a lot of the songwriter shows that you were mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just kind of find other ways to make to make a living. Well, you also write songs for for film and TV, and a yes. lot of people will recognize uh, a little ditty that you wrote with uh, Blake Shelton for Angry Birds. There's a moment in this journey that. My boots just couldn't walk another mile And that cloud above me had no silver lining I couldn't buy a break with my last dime oh, But when I saw you standing in the corner I'd have never thought that you would have my back But then we rolled in like the thunder and the lightning Threw some punches then we 
We wrote that, and then I wrote some of the new Angry Birds that just came out with Luke Combs. Um, and Lord knows I've written a lot of um, Disney stuff with my time, the years that I was a songwriter for Disney. I really enjoy writing songs for film and television. How do you get picked up for that? That's something I haven't talked to anybody about. Do they find you, yeah. or did you pitch music to them? Well, Blake and I go so far back and um, have collaborated for gosh, I mean, I think we're on our seventh record uh, for a long, long time. So um, he knew about my, you know, years at Disney and writing for a lot of the Disney franchise. So when Angry Birds reached out to him to write a song for the film, uh, he naturally called me and was like, what in the world do I do? And how do I write a kid's song? And I had a lot of experience in that. So we via voice memo and I'm not even kidding you. We never actually even talked. <laughs> we just would send versions of us of, of verses and choruses back and forth. And that's how we wrote that song. And then we went in the studio and got to record it. And it was pretty awesome. Then the, this new one with Luke Combs, uh, me and Jonathan Singleton got something started. And then I went out to Luke's house and we finished it. So it's, um, a lot of times, you know, it comes through the artist. But then I've had songs and movies where, like, you know, it's just something that's already been recorded and they'll just pick it up. It's interesting to hear you talking about the music business now and how there are obstacles all the time still popping up today. When you were in college, it wasn't really until you were in college that you started to understand all that it took um, to to make it in this business, doing what you're doing. If you could go back knowing what you know, would you still forge ahead? I would because I'm, you know, not one of those people that had a fallback plan. I wasn't, you know, also good at math, also good at, I could have been a great teacher. I could have been a great accountant. Like I know a lot of people that, that I even write with that, you know, have other, crafts or trades, if you will, I just didn't have that. I mean, for me, I was good at singing and writing songs. That's, you know, basically what I was good at. So I think that I definitely would warn myself, you know, mm-hmm. I would go back and say, you know, you think it's hard, but it's going to be double hard, whatever you think it is. Um, but I still, I, I mean, it's a great life. It really is. And I feel just really blessed to have had the success I've had, you know, and, um, I get, I love, I love waking up every day and still getting to do it. What song that you've written most reflects who you are? Um, I think the, the title of this record, um, Decatur County Red is the most autobiographical song. It literally tells the story of, where I'm from, um, we give description of, of me as a child and, and kind of where I'm from, things I saw raised around that kind of thing. Um, 
I would start with that. I learned to drive a stick shift by the time I was 10. And I learned to clean a catfish and eat around the skin. And I learned me mom's kisses could heal anything that hurt. Better keep your feelings to yourself behind your flannel shirt. It's in my Mama drank pretty darn autobiographical. <laughs> so um, I would say just this whole album, really um, song by song. If you don't mind, I want to give you some of your song titles, and then you just give us a little bit of a, a backstory on where the inspiration Hi. came from. Sure. And I'm going to start with one that wasn't a hit, but it's on your um, 2014 album, Down Home. I loved it. Christofferson. Oh, yeah. What a great story. So me and my husband, John Randall, and Ryan Beaver, an awesome songwriter, Texas songwriter, we were writing at our, our house, um, and that groove, I'm pretty sure Ryan was playing that groove, and we all started to play it. And we were, me and JR were just kind of mumbling, and literally when it hit, I've got chills thinking about this, <laughs> literally when we, we kind of mumble, 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 and then at the very end, we both where to God looked at each other and said, Christopher. <laughs> and Ryan Beaver literally almost put, like, dropped his guitar. It was one of the most bizarre songwriting moments I've ever had. And me and JR looked at each other in shock. And wow, what? I mean, obviously, and Ryan goes, Well, I guess I know what we're writing. <laughs> Tootsies in the 70s, rough out boots and faded jeans, guitar full of songs nobody wants to hear you sing. Whiskey stained lonely nights, drunken words and barroom fights. You can't hide a poet's broken heart with rolled up sleeves. Mmm, rolled up sleeves. Tortured in a motel room, morning sneaking up on you. Counting out your nickels for a pack of cigarettes Burning luck and chasing stars Wondering who the hell you are Knowing deep down in your heart This may be all you get Mmm, all you get Mmm, yeah, that's it And the tears to then get to spend some time with him and give him the record. And um, I've got some unbelievable videos of his wife, Lisa, sending me of, of him listening to the song and crying and, and saying, you know, this song really 
helps me remember who I am. And wow. I mean, what a, I mean, literally I don't need a Grammy or any other award. I feel like I, I got the greatest award ever with that. That's fantastic, man. Yeah, it's really cool. And I got to perform it to him um, at a big tribute at here at the Bridgestone in Nashville. And it's just, it's a blessing, that song. No big deal. Just performing for Chris Christopherson. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I can't even, can't even imagine it. Uh, just a fun song. Just a crank it up song, especially when it was out by, I think, an underrated country vocalist, Eric Pasley's song about a girl. That is just a smoking kick-ass good time song thank you i love singing harmony on that too um we had so much fun writing that song and eric pasley is just a beast of a singer i mean when you write with him you are just hanging on for dear life because he is he's trucking um (laughs) and that was really before a lot of the songs about girls so it's kind of a, a funny time to write that song and i'm I wish it'd gone a little further. I think it went to number ten, but it was it was awesome and really if, for me too. It was exciting because that was a time when I was pretty much just had decided I'm just going to write songs for men, and because I was you know had a, a newborn and we need to make make a living things after the climb. I had written with a lot of females and wasn't really getting any traction. And I thought, you know what, I don't think I'm going to do what I think I do best, and that is right for men. And so that was exciting. I remember writing that song about a girl and kind of going, yeah, I can do this. Ain't about tailgates, ain't about bonfires, ain't about souped-up cars, water towers, or drowning in a bottle of Jack. This ain't about Chevys, ain't about money, ain't about blue sweet shoes, can you choose that? And uh, wasn't necessarily, you know, multi-week number one, but a really strong song. And I think another song that uh, resonates with a lot of people, and that's Prize Fighter. Ooh, I like a deep dive here. Yeah, that was really cool song to write with the, the amazing Sarah Buxton and Ross Copperman. And I I had worked with Trisha Yearwood for years, years and years ago. I've, I've, she's recorded several of my songs. I've sang on her records. I've opened shows for her. And... Um, it was so cool when she picked up that song and um, kind of had that those power vocals. So, yeah, thank you for digging that one up. When you hit the ground, you find your wings. You go on more round when that bell rings. They say you're done, but here you come. You're a hammer hitting, spitting fire.
The Climb. That's a song that uh, came out of sheer frustration. It was um, 10 years almost to the to the months that I'd moved to town and still not had a hit. And I was very, very frustrated during that time in my life. I was thinking about quitting, actually. And um, that morning, I was driving into work and just had a melody come to my mind. And it was really the chorus. And I can re- even remember thinking, gosh, is this? this sounds like a standard, like, has this been written? And, uh, you know, we're always worried that when we come up with a good melody, but, uh, I walked in and John Mabe, who was a underdog as well. We had not written a lot. I just walked in the door and had that melody and we, uh, wound up not writing it that day, but got back together and just, that's really just me and his, kind of pouring our hearts out and how hard the struggle and uh, both being underdogs. And I had no idea that day though. I mean, that one, you would think I would know, but that I was so torn down and broken as a, as an artist, a songwriter that I, I didn't even know. I just thought it's just another song that no one will ever hear. Wow. That's so, that's a damn personal song too. It really was. And it was so, bizarre and rewarding to have a song that I poured my heart out to then be the song that I was rewarded by, you know, to have a 15 week number one and to go do way beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I'm a, I'm a Nashville songwriter. I don't listen to pop radio. I've never listened to pop music. Um, I didn't even really know who Miley Cyrus was like to have a song kind of go beyond our town and, be global and go to five different markets. It was just surreal. So so bizarre. I can almost see it. That dream I'm dreaming, but there's a voice inside my head saying you'll never reach it. Every step I'm taking, every move I make feels lost with no direction. My faith is shaken, but I I gotta keep trying, gotta keep my head held high. There's always gonna be another mountain, I'm always gonna wanna make it move, always gonna be an I would love Absolutely. to keep this conversation going. You have been awesome, but I want to let oh, you, you too. Uh, get back to your family uh, and relieve your husband because your kids may have him <laughs> tied up and locked in a closet by now. You don't know. Exactly. <laughs> God knows what they're watching. <laughs> uh, well, you've been an awesome interview. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. Jesse Alexander, thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Just got to keep going.
And that'll do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Thank you again to Jesse Alexander and a big thanks to J.T. Harding for the assist, getting Jesse Alexander to uh, carve out some time for us. This podcast is a production of Bonneville International and KNCI Radio in Sacramento, where we record at. And again, if you like this podcast, please take a minute, give it a review, share it with your friends. It's really the only marketing we have. Now, next month, I can't even believe I'm saying this guy's name in relation to being a guest on the show because he's written songs that are so popular, it's almost like they've just always been around. Now you say it best When you say nothing at all Oh, darling The Great Hall Overstreet. Next time on Write You a Song.